Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book Dream Teams by Shane Snow. Keep listening to find out why a little bit of fighting is actually good for you. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. I'm Steph, your host, and each week I share the three big ideas from some of the best popular non-fiction books that I've been reading and saving you time by doing the reading so you don't have to. This week, as I mentioned, is the book Dream Teams by Shane Snow. And this book appealed to me a lot because a lot of the work I do is with teams and it's with helping teams and largely in a facilitation and consulting type role to help them work a bit better together. So this book, the title, the concept of it really did appeal and it didn't let down. It's a really good all rounder. I'd say it's less of a instructional book, like something like a Stephen Covey type book might be, but it's written in a really thought provoking and compelling way that will show you some just some different examples and case studies that we don't always see in here. So it goes beyond just the business and sports examples that we see in a lot of books. And Shane uses his journalism bent to bring different team situations to life and find the, the underlying patterns and rules that, that connect them. In a moment, I'll share a little bit about the book and the author. But if you haven't already signed up for the bookmark newsletter, I'd love you to do so. Each fortnight, I share some things I've been reading, a couple of reviews, some ideas of what to read next around the different kind of sub-genres around business and, non- and general non-fiction. And I've recently shared a 2020 book gift buying guide. So if you are, as we get towards the end of the year, if you are buying some books for people as gifts, this will help you pick which books to buy. There's a handy link to sign up at the top of the podcast notes or the show notes. So if you haven't already, hop over there, maybe write me, you can do it right now. You can still listen at the same time and subscribe. All right, a little bit more about the book, Dream Teams. A journey through science and history to understand incredible teams and what makes them tick. In Dream Teams, award-winning journalist Shane Snow takes us on an adventure through psychology, neuroscience, business and more revealing what separates groups that simply get together from teams that get better together. You'll meet rap groups, pirate gangs, buddy cops, pioneering women in journalism and the FBI, Soviet hockey teams, outrageous artists and city planners, and the people behind social movements that change the world, and much more. And a little bit about Shane. Shane Snow is an award-winning entrepreneur, explorer, and journalist who has helped expose gun traffickers and government corruption, explored abandoned buildings and sewers around the world, eaten only ice cream for weeks in the name of science. That sounds like a science experiment I would like to take part in. And taught hundreds of thousands of people to work better through his books, including the number one bestseller, Dream Teams. Snow speaks globally about innovation and human behaviour, has performed comedy on Broadway and has been in the running for a Pulitzer Prize for investigative journalism. His writing has appeared in GQ, Fast Company, Wired, The New Yorker and more. He is currently a board member of the media technology company Contently and the investigative journalism non-profit The Hatch Institute. And both of those little blurbs were taken from shanesnow.com. There's a link in the show notes if you want to go and find out more about Shane. Now, I've mentioned on the podcast before that I generally really enjoy books written by journalists. I think they go different places. I think they're written in a really different way. And this is no exception. You can, you can almost immediately tell just because of the, the variety of case studies and examples and people that Shane went to speak to for this book that he has brought that investigative journalism approach to this particular book and the writing of it as well. 
All right, with all that said, let's get into the three big ideas I took from the book Dream Teams by Shane Snow. Big idea number one, relook at Problem Mountain. Heuristics are the mental models or the ways of thinking that we evolve to, to, to have in our minds. They impact how we perceive problems, how we perceive other people and our range of potential solutions. They come from everything. They come from all of our different experiences growing up, who we grew up with, where we grew up, the languages we speak, our gender, our sexuality, our disabilities, our injuries, whatever it is, wherever we are, whether even down to things like whether you're a morning person or not, will provide some kind of mental heuristic or mental model or way of thinking that will influence your decisions and behavior and problem solving. The analogy that Shane uses is one of a mountain range and pretend that that mountain range is the the problem that you're facing. He said that different people's mental models or these mental shortcuts or heuristics that they have will be like some people are dropped off on different faces of the same mountain or different peaks of the same mountain range, meaning that their perspective on the problem is maybe wildly different to other people who maybe have quite similar backgrounds or ways of thinking. But what we need to do or what we need to make sure we're doing is we need to cast the right crew for a problem. And your differences may be more or less relevant in different situations or for different types of problems. There's a director that Shane talks to in the book who says that he may be a gay Asian dad, but maybe that's irrelevant for a lot of the problems he needs to solve. Maybe the fact that he's a morning person actually is the thing that's important for certain types of problems that need solving or certain types of groups or teams that he needs to be in or could be part of. Whereas in other situations, maybe the fact he is bilingual is much more important or the fact that he is gay is another important point in another situation. So this isn't about always casting the same people, the same crew for for different problems, but you need to work out what are the differences, what are those mental models, what are those ways of thinking that will be beneficial for that particular problem. So you've got to know what type of problem it is you're solving first. In another example, there was a group of town planners who, when someone else joined their team who was in a wheelchair, made the whole group feel and think about things completely differently than if maybe that person had not been in the room. And finally, examples of boards and executive teams who, when someone new joined the team who came from a different background or was looked and sounded and thought about things a bit differently to the existing group, made much better decisions and much more holistic decisions than the homogenous group that existed beforehand. What was really interesting, though, and, and none of that will be surprising to you. We've, we know enough about diversity and around diversity of thinking and, and other types of diversity. And that isn't just about race or isn't just about gender because diversity is so much more than that. We know enough to know that better decisions are made when we have more diverse groups, if they are heard and if the, the diversity is embraced. But what was really interesting is that the impact or the impact that they found in just believing that people were different For example, there was a small study done where people who identified as either Republican or Democrats were told that they were going to debate about a key issue with someone else. And some of them were told that, so for example, some of the Republicans were told that they were going to argue against or debate against someone who was a Democrat and vice versa. Those who were told that the other party or the other person was from the opposite party or the opposite end of the political spectrum actually came up with better arguments than if they thought it was the person that the person coming to argue against them was from the same side. So what was particularly interesting was that just believing that they were going to be put up against someone who had a different political view and maybe social view to them was enough to improve the arguments and the thoroughness of the points that the the debaters came up with. 
which is also an interesting one if you extended that a little bit further to think about, well, does that mean that they then were able to put themselves in the other person's shoes and look at problem mounting, if we come back to that analogy, by looking at things from those other perspectives in order to plan a better or more robust argument. So there we go, that's big idea number one, relook at problem mountain and relook from different eyes. Big idea number two is the conflict paradox. And this is literal conflict. So the Wright brothers, for example, when they were inventing their flying machine, the rap and hip hop group Wu-Tang Clan and Daimler Chrysler, who had a horrible merger situation, all have quite a lot in common. And that is their ability to fight. Daimler Chrysler was a horrible merger and was then demerged years later at a fraction of the, the price that was originally paid for. But everyone thought it should be successful because it seemed that they were a good culture fit. And how many times do we hear that thrown around? They assumed incorrectly that everyone was, was similar because they were all white. It was mainly Western cultures. It was an American company and a German company. So they assumed everything would be fine. But no. There was low social trust. The Daimler team from Germany thought the American Chrysler teams were lazy and had no taste. And the Chrysler team thought the German Daimler team were too elitist and too, too much attention to detail. So what that meant is that there was just all sorts of really unhealthy conflict and nothing good came of it. The, the merger was, went down in history as a bit of a, a, bit of a disaster. But there's a paradox to this, and that's the paradox, paradox of conflict that I mentioned, that you want a bit of conflict, but you want it in the right way. So the Wright brothers, for example, were known for really loud arguments as they tried to solve their flying machines problems. They would actually actively switch sides to each other's perspectives, though. So they would argue really well, and they would argue as a means to the end of finding the right answer and finding the answer that would solve the problem that they knew they had was out on the table in front of them, and they both had an equally strong want and will to, to change it and to fix it. As another example, the Wu-Tang Clan, who are a hip hop and rap group from the US, they fought a lot and it got pretty heated at a lot of points. But through this, they were able to produce some of the most interesting and influential rap and hip hop music of that particular time until they actually imploded and the arguing got a little bit too much. Robert Diggs was one of the leaders really of the Wu-Tang Clan and really was the guy who brought them all together. And he would run the recording sessions as a battle in the way that hip hop was born. So they all had to turn up with their A game and with their best to get on the tracks. Because if it wasn't good enough, he wasn't going to cut it into the, the final mixes. So what that meant was the, the tension and the conflict that was in that group was put to really constructive and creative use in their ability to create really innovative and creative music. Conflict can actually also be a predictor of improvement in a relationship or in a situation because it means you're still talking. And that was that's come from the research on more on romantic type relationships from the Gottman Institute. So that's really interesting as well. And what we see in organizations a lot is the organizational silence, which is what happened with Daimler Chrysler, just no one, everyone stopped, both sides just stopped talking to each other. And that organizational silence ends up as inertia. And if you're not going forward, you're going backwards and ultimately nothing good will come from that. So provocation can spur us into action, but we need to know what it is we're actually fighting for and what it is we're trying to get to as a result of some conflict and make sure that's done in a healthy way that's not personal, it's just about getting to the right outcome and answer. So that's big idea number two, the conflict paradox. Big idea number three is play for belonging. 
In some of the examples that Shane shares in the book, there's an example of a, another merger, actually, WebCT, which was a merger of two technology companies, one for-profit, one not-for-profit. Also an example of the Jewish and European migration tensions that happened in Ar- Argentina and soldiers during stressful tours. The thing that connects all of those examples was play. It created a connection. It creates a point of similarity and trust. In the WebCT example, Carol Vallone, who was the the CEO and bought the two companies together, she knew there was a tension between the companies. They had quite different cultures. One was for profit and American East Coast. One was not-for-profit and Canadian West Coast, which again has another overlay of culture difference. And she knew that some of the staff didn't trust her and didn't know what her intents were with the company and bringing the two companies together. So she she took a risk and she stepped into that discomfort and stepped into that conflict and but with a bit of a playful feel. So she brought everyone together at a company conference. She stepped out on stage dressed as Cruella DeVille. And she said, I think this is what you, some of you think that I am and I'm here to kill your company or make it worse and, and be really terrible. And it just gave the platform through this play, it just gave the platform for people to actually say, oh, actually, yeah, that, that is what I thought. That is what I'm worried about. And here's what else I'm worried about. So this playful act of a bit of an olive branch, but also just as a show of the culture from the top, from the CEO, went on to, to really improve the the overall culture and then the cohesion of the two companies and allowed them to have the conversations that they hadn't managed to have yet. And also from a fun point that ended up remaining through the other conferences they had and other internal sessions and workshops, etc. There'd always be this really fun play element. In Argentina, it was football, the beautiful game that brought people together because whilst the, the Jewish immigrants, the European immigrants who were coming in to, to, Argent- to live in Argentina, there was this question that was, what is it to be Argentinian? And one of the things they realized that all of these cultures, despite not looking like each other necessarily, or speaking the same languages or having the same customs or religions, what they did have in common was a love of football. And as football moved into the streets, the kids and even the adults started playing together and they bonded over this sport. So it goes to show that something quite neutral that transcends generations and transcends cultures and transcends countries and language can be the thing that connects people. So play breaks down barriers, allows people to see each other as other people. It allows people to have that point of similarity, even when it seems that there are no points of similarity. And it's also a way of breaking the ice, as Carol Vallon found in dressing up as Cruella de Vil and, and just saying, hey, there's this elephant in the room. This is what it is. I'm going to play with it. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it so that we can all put it in front of us and have a conversation. So that's big idea number three, play for belonging. So a quick recap, three big ideas from the book Dream Teams by Shane Snow. Number one, re-look at Problem Mountain through different eyes. Big idea number two, the conflict paradox. And big idea number three, play for belonging. As I mentioned, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was a really enjoyable, compelling read and it will give you lots of different ideas. Like I said, it's not an instructional book. It won't say, if you're a leader, go and do one, two, three and your team will be fixed or your team will be better. But what it will do is give you lots of different examples from all sorts of different fields and generations and points in time to inspire your thinking and maybe rethink some of the things that you have maybe dismissed or haven't even thought of yet as options for bringing teams together. 
If you've read this book, I'd love to hear from you. If, if you're now going to add this one to your reading list, I'd also love to hear. Let me know if you do get around to reading this one, what you thought, and we can compare notes. The best ways to get in touch with me are on LinkedIn by sending me a little invite and maybe mention the bookshelf when you do that, or on Instagram. And my handle is in the show notes for you to just click on and connect. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.